You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones, as well as the A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser microphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read this. These witty little intro spots are surprisingly tricky to write. Maybe we'll try a joke this time. Knock, knock. Who's there? Who? Who's there? Who? Who, who, who? Who let the dogs out? Welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network. There we go. I got it that time, Chris. Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> you have to leave more often, man. I have to practice it when you're not, when you're not here. <laughs> uh, I'm joined by my my colleague, uh, the handsome and bearded Chris Leonard. What's up, man? What's up? How's things going for you? It's going good, man. Uh, corporate business is picking up. As you know, I kind of see some rock and roll stuff with their pickup as well. Yep. I mean, there's uh, so there's some 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 bright future here coming. I think in the first quarter of next year, as as live events are continuing to return. So it's. Uh, um, very hopeful. That's good. I mean, you seem like you've been like super busy, so at least you're back to it, you know? Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's good. I mean, you know, there's all, all the labor shortages dealing with that, uh, and the amount of freelancers versus the amount of work is, is a very interesting challenge right now. Mm. Um, so, but it's, uh, it's, it, it's a good problems to have. I'll take it. Well, maybe that's something we can talk about. Also joining us, uh, special guest host, Back to Signal Noise Podcast, Jade Payne. Welcome back. What's up? Good to be here (laughs) again. I was I texted Jade like two months ago and I was like, hey, you should just guest host sometimes, just pop in and 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 then she was out, she's out doing uh you out with Crankman? Yeah, yeah, I've been out with them. Um just got back from a different short run with um uh this band called Gustav, um based in NYC. So that was fun. So just got done with that and about to head out with Krungbin again this weekend. So I'm excited. So that's funny because Hannah, who's not here tonight, was out at a show and she's like, Yeah. So I was like looking it up and she's like, Wait, I think Jay's here. Yeah. So you guys ran into each other at a show. That's we that's did. Really cool, she man. was standing right next to me at front of house. I didn't know it until after we after the set, I was breaking down my D live. And then suddenly this random person <laughs> is like, Oh, hey, excuse me. How much does your D live weigh? went while it's in the case and I was, i'm like who is this <laughs> nobody just asks that like i'm no audience member and so within like very quickly i found out oh you're hannah and i was like what celebrity um and that was really well, that was really cool for what it's worth she was texting me she's like i don't know this band but the mix is really good so there That's you go awesome. Some unsolicited feedback That's awesome. um our guest this episode mr sean sullivan we stole him from uh ryan john's podcast live sound boot camp he has some really cool stuff to say uh definitely someone we've wanted to get on the show for a long time um he's a front of house monitors he does pro tools he's been touring internationally for over 26 years he's in television mixing uh for artists uh, including alanis morissette rage against the machine red hot chili peppers shania twain alicia keys rihanna beck kanye west uh nora jones that's a pretty cool one to talk about uh goes on and on uh sean thanks for being with us man this is great thanks for having me yeah Welcome to the show. thanks thanks for having me where where are you joining us from i'm at home in cleveland ohio right now you have a big speaker behind you yeah this is like my uh <laughs> this is my little kind of mix room when i have all my gear back which it's currently in a truck somewhere so it's it's kind of an empty space mm. but normally everything is set up in here and i have near fields and some big stuff and ready to and, go oh kyle turnside oh, we, we have another guest Hello, kyle show. turnside Hey, I've, I heard you What's guys up, are going to have me on the show. <laughs> the original Weird. co-host of the Signal Hi, Noise Sully. podcast. Hi, Jade. Hi. What's up? What's up? So, imagine, imagine that caught us on his headphones. Hey, yeah. I just... So we're... this Is this episode 124, 125, something in there? Kyle's been on the show since episode 19, I think. So this might be... This is your 100th episodes, dude. You, you've been with us over 100 episodes now. And he still can't find his headphones. <laughs> yeah, 100 episodes... Schmundered episodes. <laughs> before we before we get in too far chatting with Sully, we obviously want to shout out our friend Michelle Petnato over at mixingmusiclive.com. You may know her as co-founder of soundgirls.org. She has two classes that she's got on her website. 
Um, one is an intro to live sound mixing called music, Mixing Music Live. The other one is all about a learning for critical listening, and it's called Listen with an exclamation point. Um, and Michelle is very generously giving away a uh, free admission to one of those classes for a Signal Noise podcast listener. All you need to do is go to signalnoisepodcast.com and uh, let us know which class you want to take and why you want to take it. And Kyle is going to pick a lucky winner. I've, I found a ferret underneath he my desk. He brought his ferret to the podcast. <laughs> So let's jump in, Solly. Um, what? Sh- how did you get here, man? What was your first kind of thing that went off in your brain? You're like, kind of want to do sound. You know, were you a theater nerd in high school, or what did that look like? No, I had a rock and roll father, and my brothers oh, were musicians, cool. and you know, music was a big deal in our house. And you know, Led Zeppelin records were on, you know, constant spin on the turntable. And yes, my my dad was just into cool music, and you know, as a kid, like thumbing through the record collection was a big deal, you know? And as a kid, I mean, like at seven, at eight, you know, nine Mm -hmm. years old, we were were young and my dad was, had a cool record collection and we got into it early and young and older brother uh, was a drummer in bands, local bands. And he kind of prodded me along, pushed me along to be, you know, I mean, mostly just to drag his drum kit around for him and set his shit up for him, you know, and like do that kind of stuff. And at band practice, I was kind of always the one that like, hanging around wondering what should i do and guitar players would show up and not know how to make their rig sound good and i'd be the one to turn the knobs until everybody nodded in you know in agreement whether i knew what i was doing or not i was just the guy that did that you know and so we, <laughs> that's it, a cool gig man come on well i mean as you know as an 11 12 14 year old whatever age it, that shit was going on it you know it absolutely was cool and you know we were we were having fun. We might, my parents were cool. So band practice was always at our house. And, you know, we just grew up in a, in a household that was like into that kind of shit. My father was a fireman. And as much as we kind of imagined, we'd all grow up to be firemen. I don't think my dad really cared if we were or not. In fact, he did. And he was very vocal about like, find a job you like and do something that you're into. And then you don't have to go to work, you know? And so that was a big, that was a big push for me. And then, like I said, my brother, we had a magazine, a little local paper called scene magazine. And there'd be, you know, musicians wanted in the back of that. And there was an ad for a truck driver slash sound engineer. My brother was like, you, you need to call those guys, you need to call those guys. And I was like, I'm not a fucking truck driver. Like what are you, you talking do about? Both those things. <laughs> I'm not doing that. And he was like, you better call them. And he forced me to call them. And I went to the gig. It was an oldies band that did uh, like fifties and sixties doo-wop around Ohio and Pennsylvania and Michigan. Kind of, I grew up in Cleveland, Cleveland area. Uh, and I went to the first gig with them and like two other guys showed up to answer the ad. And one was a singer. One was a, another, I don't know if he was a sound guy, but he wanted to be. And after we did the gig that night, we were driving home and they're like, they had like a 24 foot bobtail truck with light sound and backline in it and parked cool. it at the local church. And on the way home, the, the guy who was the sound guy that took us all to our first gig, he was like, who's, who can come tomorrow? And the <laughs> singer guy was like, oh, I got a gig with my band. I can't make it. The other dude was like, I told my girl I'd take her out to dinner. I was like, I'll be here. He's like, cool. You got the gig. I'm the bass player tomorrow night. And you're the front of house lights and backline guy tomorrow. I was like, fuck, really? Like, I, 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 <laughs> here we I, go. I don't know what I'm doing, but yeah, I'll be back. And I, you know, I had a, a, you know, a little bit of a grasp because I've been doing it for my brother's bands at home with our in band practice. And I've been following them around to club gigs and standing behind, you know, guys that knew what they were doing at the club level and so it and i just i started getting chops you know i started doing it young enough i was what 16 probably 17 when i started doing that i think my brother's in the other side of the room over here so i'm kind of listening if he remembers by not how is his band how is his band call him out while you're on the stage. his band is his <laughs> band he's got a he's got like a i don't know i'd call it a sludge metal band called yeah. radio nice kind of like stoner shit. stoner rock you know they're all that's my shit they're uh heavy you know drop d shit like yeah slow, yeah. Stoner, yeah, shit. slow stoner metal radiant check them out i'm i mixed their last record it's on itunes it's called uh chapters right yeah, yeah. put the link put the link in the thing chris yeah we'll, we'll, link it. Yeah, we'll get it we'll get yeah. it yeah you know they were like hey will you mix our record i was like how much money you got he's like we don't have any i was like cool you paint my house <laughs> and he was like yeah i'll paint your house so we swapped you know i i literally probably spent what I spent probably five, six months mixing that record, you know, like oh, in my spare time, uh, in my, you know, like on the road in hotels with my, you know, in ears on, like doing it mm-hmm. like really low key with my laptop and, you know, 
as many plugins as I can afford and that kind of shit. It was cool. I had a good time doing it. And it's not really my forte mixing records, but I'll do it for a fucking house paint job. That's for sure. You kind of Tom Sawyered him into doing. Yeah, basically, basically. And he had to fly to LA to paint my house in LA because I was living in LA at the time, uh. and which he didn't care. He was like, cool, I'll come out there and hang out with you and fly me out there. So that was cool. So you, you, you made an inter- interesting comment there that we, we've talked about in the past. You said mixing records is not your forte, yet we, we, we've come to a day and age where everyone expects basically a board mix to be like a record. So yeah, true. What? So I, I well, so I'm curious when when uh so nowadays when because you know, it used to be an old thing like oh I'm, I'm not I'm not a studio guy I'm a live guy I'm this right so what's what's the difference now well, in this day and age with the way things are produced on how we establish our board mix now versus maybe before and the expectation of it kind of being like a record. Well, first and foremost, you know the the shit's over with and no one can go back to it other than a cell phone Amen. or, or you know a cell phone or this or that you know which doesn't quite capture what we're doing but and the the mask you know like your mix is is only as good as these shitty rooms we play in right mm. so these rooms are obnoxious and most of them sound like crap uh i just did a shed run and some of the you know the tin roofs are just horrible arenas for the most part you know even how as good as line arrays have got and how pre- precise and direct things have gotten now it's still a shitty fucking cave that you're doing a show in as opposed to a right. record. It's a, ho- it's a hockey arena. Yeah. It's a hockey <laughs> rink. And most of them are designed sports to be arena. boisterous and obnoxious. So when the yeah. uh, sports fans yell, the opposing team goes, Oh my God, like we're fucked. You know what I mean? And so here we come, try to put like some hi-fi shit together in that space and it's done and over with and nobody can go back to it. So that's the real benefit of, you know, I hate to say that I put myself on to call myself out on it. It's like most of us, sound guys are so far behind in skill set and in quality of mixes compared to record mixers. Like, you know, I've been doing this shit 30 years and I still learn every day from recording engineers that know what the fuck they're doing. And I just, you know, I'm not really a sound guy, but I stayed at Holiday Inn Express last night, you know, like that's, (laughs) that's kind of how it goes. And like, these guys are so fucking good. And even guys that you've never even heard of it, like a level you would never even know about the, the tiniest, lowest, like, metal level that doesn't even have any fans at all and these guys are fucking good man they're like Kyle calls a fan of those, yeah, they're so good. those producers too yeah those guys are all so good and i like and i only wish i was like a teenth as good as those guys and so you know i always that, say that the european metal guys are even far superior to the american metal guys well like, yeah that's where that genre really excels right smoke. you know like an engineer from denmark can compare to me from st louis missouri yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's just a whole another level, and and so by me saying I'm not a record mixer is like I got a lot to learn to be as good as those guys. You sure, know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. and I sure I think I have a skill set that they don't have because I could manage those shitty hockey arenas way better than they can mm-hmm. for that you know for that matter. And I know how to like pick microphones that work well in there instead of you know mics that sound good in the studio. Think about it. we pick mics that don't feed back instead of sound good, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. we don't have any isolation. We throw everything on the same stage. We put a PA on at 108 dB, you know, and we and then we point everything at itself and and then <laughs> go go for it. Make it sound good. So yeah, I'm curious. So then all right, so you said you're in a, a, a shitty shed tour run, right? So um when you're working each night to balance that um how much are you overhauling eq and stuff on your console versus only really trying to keep that board mix what it was and only doing all that corrective stuff afterwards you know on the matrix or your your house eq well because we expect these board mixes to sound like they should and sometimes they might get streamed as well you know you do a festival and they and the band goes we're not giving them a split we're giving them your mix so your mix better be fucking right or or Mm -hmm. close enough you know i mean it better be ballpark good for a stream or whatever and so and guess what there's a hundred inputs or 50 inputs or whatever you have that's a lot to fucking change every day isn't it so if that shit's good and you dialed it up in near fills and you made it work at rehearsal and you'd love it and it's big and it's banging and it sounds huge at 85 db at rehearsal then then the whole game is just to make sure that the room which is different and the rig is curve differently today and the subs are spaced differently and the camera guy's got to move the subs for this you know like all that shit's <laughs> what you really got to work on you know and make sure that that's right. right and so that's what i do i i put the show Good. back on from not even yesterday if we're in a different style room with a lower roof and i 
and I keep notes with my system engineer. I'm like, how high is this roof today above us? And he's like, oh, it's mm. 10 meters. I'm like, cool. And so the next day, wherever we're at, I look for my notes and my show and I'm like, okay, here's a roof that was very similar to that and the stage mm. height, stage width, all that shit. So my recording is relevant. You know what I mean? If you just show up with yesterday's show and you were outdoor open air and right. tonight's a tin roof, the, what, what went into the mics as far as bleed is not going to help yep. you. So I, I, you know, mm -hmm. I kind of try to keep what I'm doing very similar from day to day, even if the day is completely different, you know, and then I work on that right. mix and I tune the room. I don't tune the room with pre-recorded tracks. I, I use a sign sweep, you know, I, I do pink noise for time alignment and then I use a sign sweep for like to check EQ because I get a lot better coherence with a sweep as opposed to constant noise. And I do that for as little as possible. Like I, I hate that shit. Nobody cares for pink noise. Nobody cares. The sign sweeps <laughs> even worse. Aww. And I do it as lo as short as possible. And when I'm happy with the timber and the time alignment and the balance of the subs to the mains, I put on a track and loop of a section of the song and I listen and I walk around and I make sure I get it happy at front of house. And then me and my system guy take our tablet and we take off and we get the room worked in with, you know, whatever it takes in the PA and the, and the software to control the PA and make that work day to day. Yeah. I, right. I, well, go ahead, Jade. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say that I feel like that's all, that's definitely a great use of time, especially for me these days. If I don't have a lot of time to check the PA, I'm more likely to just use my virtual sound check and use the pink noise and just do some quick measurements versus playing the pre recorded tracks because I can just actually know what's, you know, what my sources are going to do in the room. And then, so I think that's, that's a good move right there. Yeah, pre-recorded tracks are they're perfect. They're fucking so good. You better have a PA better sound good with that. That stuff playing, you know. Yeah. You almost you almost fool yourself into thinking you're better off than you are because you're playing this really amazing quality stuff back. Exactly. And yeah. like I said, us as live guys, we're like, you know, I, I'm getting closer and closer to how studios do it and you know, kind of like the way busing and stuff is done and parallel stuff. And I'm you know, I'm getting way more advanced in my live mixing. So I'm getting closer, but I'm still nowhere near like what these records are. And those things are mixed with an inch of their lives and they're mastered and everything about them is fucking right. perfect. Right. So yeah. if it doesn't sound good in a PA, even a shitty tuned PA will, will be, can be like, Hey, listen, how great this is. But then you put your shitty live mix show up in there <laughs> and you're like, Oh, wait a minute. This PA sounds like hell. And it's not the PA Matt, for that matter. It's your mix. But you know, if I can get the PA to help me in any way, shape or form, then that's what I'm mm -hmm. doing. You know? <clears throat> So on a related point, and I think some people might shy away from this, but I'm going to dive into it because you talking about this on, on Ryan's show. And I, I was like, man, this is great shit, right? So you said something, and I want to put words in your mouth, but something along the lines of there's a lot of bad system techs out there or most system techs are, are bad or just the, the, the level is 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 not as high as it could be. And I, I agree with that. I run into a lot of a lot of people in the system tech position who are really having trouble. Um, so like to what do you attribute that? First of all, is it an education and training issue? Where do you think that that comes from? It's definitely a training and education experience. You know, like I know, I know a lot of guys, I mean, I don't know who they are, but I walk up to a lot of systems because, you know, when I'm working for the chili peppers, we may do a whole run of festivals where it's not your PA, uh -huh. it's yep. somebody else tuning it, setting it up. And I walk up to it and I go, how is this rig flat or has it got stuff done to it? They're like, oh, so-and-so who's the most pronoun, you know, uh, <laughs> pronouned uh, sim guy did it three days ago and everybody's loved it since. And I go, oh, yeah, let me see the system EQ on it. And you dive into the processor and there's fucking 75 filters and they're a tenth <laughs> of an octave and they're pulled 15 dB. And you're like, how many mics did he put up when he did that? Oh, he just did it all in front of the house there. I'm like, zero that shit. Get rid of it. Like, <laughs> and I zero the rig and I turn it on. I put my mix up and I'm like, listen to this thing. It sounds great. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know? And I, mm -hmm. and I see that all the time or, or I'll be doing a award show. And I remember one time I, I won't name any names, but I was doing a, a music cares with Brianna and the system engineer. When we sound checked, you know, if, if any of you ever done music cares, you're at the, at the, convention center in LA and you're, you're 300 feet from the PA and there's like nine lit rows of, of delays back to mm -hmm. where you are. Right. And so we sound check and then you come back the next day and you do the show. And I show up like four or five bands before my artist does a thing. And the system guy is sitting there staring at smart with one microphone up in front of one cluster and every cluster's on. So you know what that does, right? It's horrible. <laughs> there's no coherence. And he's just like dropping filters and he's just, and he did that for like 
20 minutes up until my segment and like the band right before my segment, I lean over to him. I go, Hey, can you take all that shit out that you've been doing for the last 20 minutes? Because <laughs> none of that was there yesterday when I mixed my band. And he just kind of turned back and looked at me like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like I'm, I'm, I'm making <laughs> he, this shit better. And I'm like, he's no. doing that. He's doing that during the show, during too. the show with, wow. with, and there was probably, I would say there was probably 30 clusters in that room. Cause it's a giant, massive, like dinner set up and, you know, tables. And it's like, you know, it's a tribute to at that, at that time, I think it was, uh, uh, Lionel Richie. It was like, you know, it was a tribute to Lionel Richie and there was a house band and then Rihanna was doing a cover of, you know, it was just like a bunch. And, and, um, and the system guy is next to the front house guy and the front house guy's just mixing right along. And I'm like, how's this guy not here? Like this guy's dropping 10, 15 DB filters in on, on this guy's mix while he's going along throughout his night. And I watch him do it. And, and I see that all the time. Like I, I see, yeah. I stand behind friends. They're like, Hey, we're in town. I'm like, cool. I'll come hang out. And I stand there and the system guy has got his screen over by him mm-hmm. and he's just hacking away at the rig the whole night. I'm like, what the yeah, fuck is so going real. on? It's so real. I see that a lot too. Like on, on all the stuff I've done recently and, it just it makes me nervous when they sit there and they stare at it and they can't stop changing things. It, but it's definitely a thing. I mean, what it's did I say on thing. Ryan's podcast? I said they call the program smart for a reason. Don't be a dumbass <laughs> while using it. <laughs> Yay, ladies and gentlemen, I, thanks I, for joining us. Well, that's a, I want that's when I, I, I texted I Ryan and I was like, "Hey, man, hook us up. I got to get him on the show because that shit's hilarious." Man. That shit's for real. <laughs> I want to I want to point on point on an important thing because most people who spoke like you just spoke are completely dismissing smart and system optimization. And it's like, no, I just use my no, ears. No, right? I'd never I, do that. I, 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 right. So I, I, right, no, I know. So you led off talking about how you do actually use smart and do things, but you just do it in a strategic manner in a, in a, in a, in a considerable time window. So I appreciate that it, it that it wasn't. We're not just coming from the angle of like, oh, no, fuck all these kids yeah, exactly. and smart and playing a computer game and all this, right? There's 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 a a right amount of usage and knowledge that kind of goes into. Yeah, know how to use your tools. It. The man. same like people that else. said, "I'll never use a a digital console." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just I don't understand that about you know that I you know, and I guess I kind of learned it. My dad was a uh, walleye fisherman up at Lake Erie, and my dad was like one of the best, like caught every fish in the fucking lake every year. And all his buddies <laughs> that were walleye fishermen that did the same shit he did, bought the same boat and used the same equipment, and they'd go out there like, well, how come we don't catch any fish? And you catch all the fish. And my dad was like, look at my notebook. My dad had like a notebook from the 40 mm. years he'd been doing it. And when he caught fish at this part in the lake, he you know, he, he logged that shit and what the temperature was and what the water temperature was and like took all these really accurate like notes on how to do this well. And, and I kind of got that from him where I'm like, if you're going to do this right, like you got to be very methodical and you got to be very smart about it. And if you're going to succeed, you, you got to be on, on top of this shit. You can't you look at what we're doing. Like we're, you know, th- just think about it, what an FFT is in the first place. You know what I mean? Like the math going on in there and you want to just show up with your, with your one microphone in front of house and, and decide that's going to be the be all end all of how this goes today. Like that, it's just dumb. And I, and I see it all the time. And I, and like I said, in Ryan's podcast, I hate to call you system guys out for this shit, but I guess why I'm doing this. Cause I want you to get your shit together. I want you to be mm. better at it. I want you to read the manual. It's built as a help file right in the program. And it's full of amazing shit. Like just get down with it and quit acting like, you know, what you're doing and actually know what you're doing, you know? We call them the expert files in class. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, files. So, no, no one wants to ask for help, but everybody's an expert. Right. You got to bring Sully to the next yeah, uh, rational one of my class. Classes, <laughs> but uh, it, w- you said something that, that was, I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say it before, but it's sort of my internal monologue when I'm tuning a system. And it's something that I try to teach people as well, which is you were like, you have to justify every filter you put into this rig. Right. If you can't give me a reason why that filter's there, I don't want it in. And, and, and it's very different than going, I'm just going to EQ this vocal channel because it sounds nice to me, which is totally fine when you're mixing. Right. But like you said, when you're doing system engineering, why do I need this filter? It, is, what am I compensating for? Is this something I should be trying to compensate for? Is it just here or is it everywhere? Like like really making those filters, I like the talk of they have to pay rent, right? Yeah. They, they got to earn, they got to pay rent. They, they got to um, justify their existence to me. Yeah. Um, which is weird in a day when we have unlimited filters basically. But if I can't, if I can't come up with a good objective reason why I'm doing a change to a system, I'm, I'm probably not going to do it. And and that just prevents you from digging into these holes like you're talking about, or this thing where, you know, 
you've been EQing for another, you know, there two hours and it hasn't gotten any better. Like you're chasing the wrong stuff or, you, you know, it, um, another thing we like to say is, uh, be, be in a, <laughs> be a forest or not an arborist. Right. 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 So look at, look at the, look at the trends here. Um, and don't look at those little micro ripple things that you can't see if you use 12th octave smoothing, they're gone. Like you shouldn't be dealing with that. So, um, I, I like that, that approach. And I, I would encourage people to think about that from a, from a, what do we, what do we, doing there kyle <laughs> heading for the mountains did you see my oh, trick-or-treat okay. i just saw like in? a hand <laughs> some kind of hand <laughs> yeah no i um that was probably the coolest uh that dog sounds really upset uh <laughs> it's my brother like i said my brother's here and and my dog just realized he's here and he was like wait a minute who the fuck is this like, what that's how he wants it your attention he's not mad he there just like wants his attention so yeah but yeah it's to me, it was it was the coolest advice I ever got, I think. And it was just have a reason for everything you do. And it just forces you to think about the procedure. And that was really helpful. So I appreciated you saying yeah, that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, I guess in my 30 years of doing this, I've got into doing the biggest gigs on the planet, arenas and stadiums, right? And mm-hmm. so to base your decision that affects the entire room on this mm-hmm. square yeah. foot of space that you have this microphone that is fucked from every surface around it. Even if you take every precaution to get the best coherence, it still is like shit most times, right? Like I almost, yep. you almost never get really good coherence. Like if I, 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 I fuck with guys all the time and I set the coherence to only show me the data. If it's like 93, 94, <laughs> 95% or better. Right. And they're like, well, there's nothing left. I'm like, exactly. If there's nothing left, <laughs> if there's nothing left to look at, then it's all it's all unimportant, you know. And so, all the more reason why you need to take multiple snapshots and put up several mics, and you know, and do it do it the way it's designed. Don't don't just do it the way you man. want the lazy way. Michael, I think Solly's a new uh, rational. Yeah, shit, man. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always, I always think this too with system engineers is they they think something is changing at the speaker just because something in the room changed right yeah and and that's why we spend a lot of time walking around is like i go listen to the speakers and see what they're doing especially front fills out fills like mm-hmm. i listen directly to the f- speaker like what's going to quit bouncing around is just going to help me later and if i st- it like i don't think system engineers think like that some of them for sure like um usually they start grabbing for the tablet when the room starts filling up or like something's it's getting humid or whatever. But that's usually when I see them start grabbing and start dropping filters in is when something in the room changes from earlier, you know, and and some of those things we're kind of hoping for, you know, right. Body bodies filled with water and blood um, in an arena are good. Well, I was talking to Danny Miller about this the other day. Humidity is good. Yes. Yeah. The the one thing that, that, will actually change when the room fills up that we can actually compensate for is the top end, right? Just Correct. that, especially when you got 300 feet of air between your boxes and people's ears. Um, that little, whoop, that little shelf up there. Um, other than that, this the changes that I would make during a show are like, hey, front fill's got to come up a dB. Or like, it's very small and I'm not going for massive tonality changes unless it's something that the engineer specifically asked me for because it, you can't, it's exactly what you're saying. So like, you, you don't don't make a decision for every single audience member based on what you're hearing in your chair. I mean, I spend a lot of time once the front of house engineer is comfortable. I spend a lot of time moving around and pushing through the fucking people to get down mm-hmm. to hear what the front fills are doing and go listen it up in the balcony or up in the 200, 300 levels, like whatever. Like if you're not doing that stuff, then don't make changes that affect those parts of the room, I guess. You know I, I, I mean? got a like, system engineer that I've been working with for a while now. Wayne Hall is his name. Uh, he worked at DNB for years and, you know, I, I, I'm sure you guys know I lean on D&B pretty heavily. Is my mic up loud enough? I turned it down and I might have I might have turned it too far. <laughs> You're good. You're uh, good. You, you know, can say D&B again. Yeah. Wait, D&B, D&B, D&B. Yeah. Uh, Wayne, I work at a D&B shop now. For the, for the record, we're accepting a speaker sponsorship. So mm-hmm. Yeah, good, lo- good luck yeah, with no. D&B. Like, those guys, <laughs> nice don't, jackets. they don't need to give anything away. Uh, but... Hey, they, hold on. They, they sponsored the MXU Live podcast tour. They well, had, they're they pushing a product, though, right. weren't they? Yeah. I know, I know, I know. But, hey, but back, know. To Wayne, back to Wayne. Just trying to get a sponsor, right? Back to Wayne. Like, you know, he's he's one of those guys that gets what I get and understands what I want. And he's the same way. Like, during the show, there's not a single EQ change at all. Other than, unless I lean over and go, eh, that, that filter we put at 2K might be a little much or might need a little more of it. You know what I mean? Like, something mm-hmm. like that, which is typically a timber thing. Like, I almost never EQ in fine teeth of octave, you know, things because... 
you know, speakers don't have problems like that. Like if you use it a 10th of an octave filter, it's because you saw something smart that you thought was needed and it probably wasn't, you know? And so it's kind of like, I don't know. I, I stay away from that kind of shit. I do very broad strokes with like, you know, system and tuning of PAs. And cause I know these PAs for one, I'm picking the baddest shit out there and I know it's designed within an inch of its life and it works amazingly well. <laughs> and it's got, you know, air compensation shit built into as long as we're entering the data accurately. And we have multiple hygrometers sitting in front of us so that we know we have an average and we have the ones in the bumper. So we, you know, we're doing an average of the whole thing, not just like, once again, we're not just changing the entire rig based on what numbers we see at front of house. You know, we have shit in the bumpers, we have shit in the, near the front fills and we, and we do an average, you know, so everything that we do. Wait, hold on. Wait, what do you have in the bumper? The new D and B stuff has got temperature and humidity sensors mm-hmm. in their laser, in their inclinometers it's built, in, it's built into the bumper. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, in a good way. I mean, not, not, you know, when, not in a bad way. When you were, kind of coming up and finding your feet were there specific people that you were looking to as as either just kind of to follow with their leads or or as mentors or kind of who are you cluing in on when i when i first started in this business there was a guy named jeff Hare that owned aggressive sound and he had all the local pas around akron cleveland all the the agora and cleveland and akron were his rigs and uh a couple bars in kent were his rigs and he had like some uh like S4 style boxes that he, I don't know if he built or if he bought somebody, but he had like big, and he was Manowar's front of house guy and he mixed warrants. He was a touring guy that, you know, owned a, a smaller regional company around here. Cause I didn't know about eight day as a kid living here because they were a touring company and I was doing little shit shows, right. you know, like the first time I found about eight day, um, the oldest band I was working for was opening for Chubby Checker. And we were at like some amusement park in PA and eight day was there. It was like the, you know, five years into me working for this oldies band, I found out about eight day. So Jeff Hare was him and all his guys that worked for him. They knew what they were doing because he was a touring veteran and he knew what he was doing. And the guys he hired were, you know, under his tutelage and knew what they were doing because of him. And so those guys helped me at a young age. But when I first started working for eight day as a system guy, as a, as a monitor tech, as a system engineer, as a PA tech, whatever, like I, I didn't really, I didn't really know what good was. I didn't know who to, look after you know and try to like keep up with because most front of house guys that i system engineered for were kind of numbskulls that like hired spec a bunch of gear and didn't know how to use it you know or didn't know how to tune a pa and i had to do all that shit and so these were guys where i was like i don't know if i need to look up to this guy because he didn't know he didn't know his mm-hmm. own job you know like That's i knew more about this shit than he did and i because when i started eight day i went there to go be a a mixer and they were like yeah we need truck drivers you know and i was like Mm -hmm. what wait what get a cdl like are you kidding and they were like no we don't hire mixers we hire crew and techs and people that drive trucks and shit so when i got those system engineering gigs and i started teching for these guys that didn't know what they were doing i was like i'm never going to be these assholes you know and Mm -hmm. if i teched for you as at eight day as a kid I apologize now, any of you older guys <laughs> that think I'm talking about you, but uh, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but yeah, you know, I just, I just felt like I, I'm not going to be this dumb front of house guy. I want to know everything <laughs> about this shit in order to be good yeah. at it. I felt like you had to know everything about it. You know, you had to be smart. You had to know what, uh, you know, how to tune the PA. Cause guess what? If you're leaving it up to this kid who's staring at smart and doesn't have the coherence <laughs> trace on, he's just EQing the hell out of it. Then guess how your night's going to go. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to be that guy. Yeah, the it, people I come across that that don't know what they're doing are the ones that drive me the most to learn more exactly. and to to know all the stuff because it's just I walk away from those situations and I'm like I don't want to I don't want that to happen again like I want mm. a good show I want to make sure you know so now and it's you're like on the we need to know too. so much you know like at the end of the day you're yeah. responsible for the sound of your artist exactly so at some point you're not going to want to go well the system engineer was an idiot exactly like, you don't want to be able to deal with that a manager uh, hopefully you don't have mm-hmm. to guess <laughs> yeah. whose name the manager knows my name they don't know his name right you know mm-hmm. what i mean right. so I'll, I'll throw him under the bus is the most idiotic thing ever they're like i'm not paying him he's not on my payroll i don't give a fuck about that guy like right. how, how how are you going to blame him for your night not going well you know and and even if it's something like that manager's girlfriend had friends up in the 300 level and he was up there hanging out with them and it sucked up there you know that's your fault that's not the system engineer's fault like you didn't go up there and listen to that like why not mm-hmm. you had mm-hmm. you had f- how many hours to get this rig together today and you didn't go listen to that shit up there and that's your fault so i don't i'm 
I stay away from that approach. Well, that's an important thing to learn too. I mean, I, I, I know a couple of, I'm not going to, you know, throw anybody out there, but younger system techs, like think they know better than the front of house. Like, dude, y- y- it's not your gig. Like you, y- you just make that person happy. Right. And so if they're asking for you to do some crazy thing that just do it, do what they want because they're the one who's got to take the heat for it. If it doesn't come out, you know, <laughs> the right way, they're the one that management's going to, going to be bugging and they're the one who's got to talk to the artist about it. So, um, yeah, it, you know, it, it I, do I have thoughts on how it should go and, and what I think the best way to get results is? Yeah. But if the front of house says, no, I'd rather you do it this way. Okay, man. You go because it's your show. It's your well, mix, and we know? all can skin a cat a million ways differently, sure. and and all get results. Like you know, I don't claim that my system tuning ways are the only way it should be done. It just works for me, and I get the results that I get, and it works with my mixes, which are, you know, working near field. So that's the mm-hmm. way I do it. Whatever, yeah, I do it however you want. But I'll, I'll be damned if I'm going to let the buck stops with you. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and you know, like when I first got the Chili Peppers, the guys that had been doing that had been looking after Dave. And Dave was a mixer, you know, Dave was, had to run a business, a sound company. And, you know, he did other things during the day. It wasn't necessarily involved with all the PA tuning like I would Mm -hmm. be. And so when I got there, they were all just kind of like, oh, fuck, who's this guy? He wants to do everything. He wants to tell us how it goes and (laughs) wants to be like involved. And like, I even remember one of the guys, like they were, they were starting to put pink noise up one day and I just leaned over and said something. He was like, oh, this is when you go get coffee. And I was like, uh. Oh. Wait a minute. You don't know who you're talking to because <laughs> yeah. this is not what this is when I start getting my shit done. So like, what are you talking mm. about? And they learned really quick that I wasn't, you know, uh, just hang out and wait for them to get the shit together. So, you know, it's everybody does it differently. It just my way is my way. So how do you set that tone? Because this is something that we talk about all the time on the show. I've got, you know, so I'm, I'm a I'm a house engineer at a venue here and some people come in and say, I'm going to stay in here and make it sound good. And you make it sound good everywhere else. And they don't want to, they don't care. They don't want to talk about it. They're just like, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to mix you, you do it. And some people want to do what you do and just be right there with me and go through everything together and, and really get deeply involved. And that's a spectrum. So how do you set that tone when you're coming up to a tech you don't know before? What's that first interaction? Like? Try to be cool as fuck, you know, be, mm-hmm. be their buddy. Look like we need each other. I'm here to, I'm here to have a good time and I want this to go well. I hope you're on that same page with me. You know, like I, I'm a, I, you know, I need you, but understand that I have a set way that I like this to go and how I want it to sound and just be super cool and, and really open and honest about it, you know? And like, mm-hmm. there's there, yeah, just no secrets, right? This is how I like it. Let's do it this way. And, you know, like I told him at Ryan's thing, I said, hey, you guys want to tune this rig? I know you guys have been doing this forever, but just know I'm going to ask you to to back up anything you do because I'm that kind of guy. I'm not I'm not just going to sit back here and take this rig however you hand it to me and get a bond about my business. I'm going to I want to be involved. I want to make sure that it's what I think it should be. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm even as far as like, you know, Wayne, my guy that I work with, like he goes in the morning and he draws a room at 6 a.m., and he's emailing me the array calc file at eight thirty or whatever, and he's like, "Here's what I got." And he and I and I let him do what he thinks should be done, and then I go through and I check all his work, and I make sure that he's doing it the way I think it should be done. And the reason him and I have lasted so long together is because he works like me, and he curves a PA like I think it should be. And he doesn't curve it because it looks cool. He curves it because he's looking at the data of the trace of like at 250 and 400 and 4k and 2,500. He's looking at all these different frequencies and seeing how it, you know, is the most averaged out and through the whole PA's coverage, you know? And, and when we first started working together, obviously there was like, you know, a bit of time where he would probably want to fly a little higher than I would like it or this and, you know, those kind of things we learned about it. But, you know, it, it, you just got to get really cool with these guys and be super open and honest and, you know, and know what the fuck you're talking about. Cause if you don't <laughs> and you're up there just blowing smoke, then, then some guys that are good are going to be like this asshole with this bullshit, you know, <laughs> like he didn't know what he's talking about. So know what you're talking about. If you're going to be that guy, like I try to be, then be well-versed in it and know what you're talking mm-hmm. about and have your shit together. So that when you do come up to somebody and you want to get in there, what they think is their job and not your job, then prove to them that that you know exactly what you're talking about by knowing what you're talking about and then then they can't question you then they wouldn't even they wouldn't even think about questioning because like damn this guy's on it that's going to be this is going to go mm-hmm. well because he knows the fuck he wants and what he's talking about and we're going to get it together together I and mean, that's the that's sort of the holy grail of if you're a system you're having the front of house that 
actually knows what they want and can actually <laughs> express it to you. Like that's an easy day, man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why should any of this shit be difficult? Right. You know, it's, it's hard enough leaving your family behind and eating macaroni and cheese every day and catering, you know, it's like that, all that shit's tough enough. Like let's make the gig nice and easy and smooth and, and go well. And let's, let's have a good time out here because they should. So speaking of easy gigs, the first artist, I'll be sarcastic here. The first (laughs) artist you have listed on your resume is the artist formerly known as Prince. You have listed both front of house and monitors. So uh, at the same time, or did you go and what's, well, let me, let me clarify because when I was sent there as an eight day guy, he was mixing from the stage. He had a paragon in what they called the womb and he was mixing the show himself from the stage and wow. so I was sent out there as an eight day guy to fly the PA. It was a turbo sound flashlight floodlight rig at the time. Wait, when you say he, you Prince, mean Prince was Prince, mixing. Cause he knows, cause he knows okay. what the fuck he's doing. Mm-hmm. And this is a Paragon one Paragon or two. two. That okay. was only console for everything. All the monitors were mixed mm-hmm. from that. All the front of house Holy was mixed shit. from that. We had, we had two wide, four, two wide, two deep floodlights pointed back at him at the, at the mic position. So he could hear his mix. There was side oh. fills as well pointed right at him. And so when I got there as a system engineer, as the PA guy, me and one other guy from eight day, we were just like, cool. We're just going to let this put this rig up and let him hang himself, which he tried to do daily because he had, he wanted like really bizarre shit. Like he had, he had like a uh, Dunlop volume pedals inserted on shit on the desk so he could mix from his vocal position. So he could like turn his guitar up and down on the desk with a volume pedal. Or, you know, he had mutes for PCM 42s and PCM 60s and all this shit. And then he had volume pedals for them too. So if he wanted more reverb, he could just lean into a volume pedal. So he would do, he would be in the moment of playing a solo because he's one of the fucking baddest guitar players on the planet. And he would just stomp on all this shit and then take off soloing. And the rig would just go to fucking hell, you know, it would just be like, cause everything's pointed everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And so me as this young mixer who is not there to mix, but I'm like, this isn't going to go well like this. Like what, <laughs> what, what the fuck man. This, and we were Paisley park for months, right? We weren't, we weren't doing shows yet. We were Paisley park rehearsing for a long time. And so I had sent out for very curves, like a rack of BSS, very curves. Like, I think I got like, 20 channels of it or something like that. And I'm literally walking around with the tablet undoing what he was doing (laughs) when he wasn't doing it. You know what I mean? I didn't fuck with it when he was there doing it. I would put shit back. But like if he would turn on all the delays and reverbs and all the volume pedals up and then take off soloing, I would just be like going through all that shit that I knew had volume pedals on it and would be muting it or pulling it way down. And so him and I, he saw something in me that I didn't even realize I was showing him because I was taking initiative without being asked to do it. And he, Mm. that guy will chew and spit out everybody that comes across him. Like, and I was, fuck, I was young. I was 22 or something at the time. And I didn't really know that about him then. And I guess it was probably young enough in his career that he wasn't well known for, for that. And so I didn't really know why that I should, but he was kind of like, saw this spark like wow this kid's got initiative for one he's he's keeping me from hanging myself because he knew he was he wasn't a dumb guy at all he knew what he was doing and i and i almost believe that he's kind of the guy that would like purposely do shit like that to see if anybody would catch it and see if Mm -hmm. anybody would fix it like he was kind of that guy would test everybody at all times he was always testing somebody in some way shape or form and and i guess i was passing all those tests and so i wasn't I guess I, you know, I'm probably fibbing a little bit on my resume that I was the monitors and front of house guy, but in a way, I, in a way <laughs> I was doing everything because he wasn't doing it when he was soloing, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't doing any of that shit. He was just trying to be Prince, you know, which that's why. Yeah, so wow. it was, and, and I lasted quite a long time doing that, you know, where most people get chewed up and spit out in days with that guy. Some people show up and he look, takes one look at you and goes, get somebody else mm-hmm. yeah i was actually kind of hoping there was a good you know being fired story here that's what i was actually itching for but uh, it's all good no it didn't it never <laughs> happened we finished we finished what we set out to do and and i went on about my way and then i got another i got that's another awesome. gig and you know never went back because of that or whatever but 
But every time we hear about him on the show, it's fucking fascinating. Like we always like Scoby was telling us about he used to fucking get put in a road case and wheeled out the front of house. Yeah, so people <laughs> so can like, see him come out there. Yeah, like mm-hmm. unbelievable shit, man. Like every time it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, for the record, I think if someone ever has Prince listed on their resume, you can't not yeah, you ask, ask. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the guy's a genius. Yeah. Was a genius, man. It's a shame Jeez. he's no longer with us because there'll never be another one like him, that's for sure. For sure. And people was ask, that your gig that you were like, this is my fucking, this is the fucking gig? Or, I mean, you, have, I mean, Rage, I know you're pretty stoked about Rage. Like, what was your, what was your gig, you know? I think the, f- when I was a kid, young at eight day, and I got told I was going to do Frank Sinatra, I was like, I remember like pounding my fist into the ceiling of my car as I drive it home, like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm going to do Sinatra, you know? Like, yeah. that was one of the, you know, and I was just going out to be a system guy, fly the PA. And I ultimately ended up mixing the orchestra because they had two 4Ks for the jazz trio and Tom Young mixed that when Frank's Mike and Frank Jr. And then I would send stems to him because I was a mixer and eight, they knew that they sent me out there because of that, even though they didn't tell me like, Hey, you're going to mix Sinatra. They were just like, you know, go fly some TMS threes and, you know, have fun, whatever. Uh, But yeah, that was pretty big, you know, defining moment. I think, I think that was because I was so young and it was like my first, like, I had done Jethro Tull as a PA tech. I'd done a bunch of gigs as a PA tech, but that was like the first one where I was like, holy fuck, this guy's like, you know, Frank Sinatra. What can you, you know, he's one of the greats, right? And so that was a big deal for me. Pretty much every gig I get nowadays, I'm just like, you know, my brother and I like punch each other all the time. Like, can you believe this shit? You know, I'm just some, mm-hmm. some punk kid from Ohio that's like going and getting all these big gigs. So it's every, t- every one of them is a big deal. That's for sure. Um, so something that's that's of, of interest to me, and I was just talking to Ryan about this. Ryan O'John, I, mean, I don't know if he said that. Oh, we said it a couple times in this episode. We tried, Meet the we, quota. We tried to drop his name. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so there it is. Um, Nora Jones, Sarah McLaughlin, Alicia Keys. I want to talk about pianos on stage. Okay. I don't think we've talked too much about that. Um, real pianos, keyboards. I mean, what, what were you doing on those shows? And not, well, not to mention a combo of that person actually playing piano and yep. singing. I mean, it's a, a double. But piano sounds there. are fucking hard, man. Yeah, just they're hard. Yeah, Alicia is pro as it comes. She uses a MIDI grand, or I mean, a MIDI mm-hmm. upright. So it's got a module, take lines yep. out of it. It's tuned though. You got to tune it with you know a real tuning in to set it up so it works. Beck was like that too. Roger Joseph Manning played up upright Yamaha upright that had a module. Those are always piece of cake. It's Beck like, is so good live. It's like listening Damn. to a keyboard, you know, those things. Yeah, Beck is amazing for sure. Holy uh, cow. Nora was tough. Nora had a little help. Uh, uh, what the hell was it called? She had a little like short upright that they found in somebody's basement. It was flooded out, you know, like and they Yamaha like restored it for her. But it, since it had short bass strings and the way it was folded to fit in this low, low case, it was just it was saloon like it was very like mm-hmm. you know and she's like you know she she hates that she's known as a jazz artist but you know like those those records from her first album which are you know were big giant grands in a studio that shit was recorded with and she didn't want nothing to do with that like i in my mind i'm like wait this is how we're gonna go do this and and you know to her she was just like this is what i want and she mm-hmm. i think she'd have rather be known as like a country folk artist instead of a jazz artist, you know, Hmm. she's from Texas and the, you know, not to, not to air out her business, but I, I I don't think she, you know, wanted to be known as a jazz artist. I think she'd rather be something other than that. And so she didn't care about that. And, and that's one thing I learned early on from her was like, cool. That's how the records were, but we're not doing that live. So don't worry about Mm -hmm. that. And it was a bit disappointing for me every night because the piano was really difficult to make well, make right. And I spent a lot of time changing mics and putting contact pickups in it and this and that, and tried everything, you know, to make it go well. And it just ultimately would never be amazing. And that was okay with her. And so I just had to learn Mm -hmm. how to be okay with it. You know, that was, that was something that, you know, I guess you'll, you'll learn some artists are just like, Hey, it is what it is. This is how I do it. You know? And okay, cool. Figure out how to get the best out of it and, and be happy with it. And, you know, sure. There may be some efficient auto come to the show. They'd be like, God, that piano sucked. That front of house guy's horrible or whatever. But like, they don't know what you're up against. They don't know what you're doing. Right. They don't. And so, you know, don't worry about those people. And if you read a review, it says something like that, then, then whatever, you know, better. So don't worry about that shit. Right. Just do what, do it as best as you can. 
and do it the way the artist wants and make them happy and you, and you're winning. You can't go wrong. So that was, that was pretty easy to get my head around how she wanted to do it and be like, all right, cool. This is, this is how we're doing it. So I, I got this. I think uh, Greg, Greg Price and Brad Maddox, when they were on the show recently talking about recording stuff, they, they were like, look, you're, you're on the bus with the artist making art, man. Like he goes, no one else can say anything about that, you know? And, right. Uh, the, the, uh, a guy that, uh, a colleague of mine that I've been working with for, for a very long time, he always, his father always told him when you see something like that, you know, goofy lighting design, or, you know, you go to a show and something doesn't sound right because you never know what that guy had to work with. Like, you don't know the context of this or why it's the way it is. So, um, there, there's, I know some young guns who like to come in something, I could do it better than that guy. Like maybe you could, but maybe you couldn't like, he, yeah, you can't ever pass sure, judgment you know? on anybody until you stand <laughs> in their tough. shoes. That's for sure. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's a, I, there's a there's a, a big lesson there, I think. Jade, you look very lost in thought. What's going on? Oh yeah, no, I'm just I'm thinking about um, yeah, just these yeah these moments where you know there's like an expectation between mm-hmm. like our client, but then also the audience, and you know we're always trying to please both of them, but ultimately you know we work who we work for, and that's it but then yeah i'm curious if you have anything to say about that sully about you know um because i'm thinking about also when we were talking about board mixes and you know is it's like what is our what is our performance really being you know what part of it is being looked at is it you know because if you hand in your board mix and then you know the artist is like well this doesn't really sound as full but maybe it did in the show Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just kind of thinking about, uh, about that kind of stuff and, you know, I feel like, like how much, you know what I'm saying? I yeah, feel just, like there's, there's many ways to achieve greatness in every facet of that mix, whether it gets sent mm-hmm. to a board mix and they listen to it, or it gets sent to a live stream and the PA mm-hmm. sound, there's, there's, there's no reason why all of them can't be great. It's difficult. It's not an mm-hmm. easy task to achieve, but it's very attainable as long as you have the mindset that this is what I have to, uh, this is a goal that I have to get through is that these all have to work, even though yeah. you ne- have no idea whether the artist is going to ask you for a mix or not, but someday they might. And so by all means, that shit better be banging. Right. And right. And- yeah. And that's a, as I go through my, you know, I'm still pretty early in my career right now, but that's something that's always on my mind is, juggling kind of all those things you know getting a great house mix getting a great board mix the live stream and just kind of how we can all find that kind of balance and you know make it rock yeah i think i think the the secret to that is near fields and dialing Mm -hmm. up your show at rehearsal and near fields with no hype no sub no nothing just as basic as like a broadcast guy would be doing it. Right. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You're, you're not getting, cause think about how much love and help we get from the PA and subwoofers and all that shit, you know, it makes it really easy to get like big, massive sounding kick drums, you know, but guess what? Near fields or laptop speakers don't offer any of that assistance. So in order to get that stuff really big and banging, then that's on you. And then, then you just want this neutral PA, which is how I do it. Right. I got to get this near field mm-hmm. mix to be huge. And sound amazing at 85 dB because guess what? There's going to be one day of one show of the tour where I got a mix at a low SPL. And if my mix only sounds good loud, you're fucked that day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, what kind of near fields do you like to use? I usually use 8040 Gen X because most vendors own them and they're, they're pretty mm-hmm. standard. They're, you know, they're, they're good enough. Some guys will, some guys will, oh, fuck Gen X, I hate them or whatever, you know. Uh, but, you know, anything really would work is, is, you know, and I see people dogging out like NS10s all the time, but like NS10s, there's a reason people lean on those because they don't offer any help. You know, the there's, mm. there's meager in the low end and the high end mm-hmm. is kind of like a little, you know, ras- rispy, raspy sounding, you know, and they're like, they're kind of obnoxious to use. And, 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 you know, Dr. Dre makes every record on NS10s, you know, so if you can get something to slap on NS10s, guess what's going to do in a PA with a hundred fucking 18 inch woofers, you know, like, so that's the real goal. Like to get this mix to be huge and bang, no matter what in any source. And if it's this tiny weak sounding thing, such as near fields, even 80 forties, which are pretty, pretty good sounding and a pretty full range, but they don't have a lot of like authoritative low end. They just have good, mm-hmm. you know, reasonable flat low end down to, I don't know, probably 45 Hertz or whatever. But yeah, like, once I learned how to make my mix big instead of loud, my the game changed for me. 
And that was, that was a, uh, a mindset thing ultimately that caused that. Mm. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, I learned something new or I learned a trick or I learned how to like get the kick in the bass guitar to work together. It wasn't that at all. It was really the mindset of like, this is where it's got a knock is in this tiny little shit because the PA will do it all day long, no matter what. And it's sick about, think about your favorite records going down the road in your stock car stereo. Those things mm-hmm. knock no matter what, because they're done like back to our conversation earlier about how good record mixers are. You know, those guys, they have that as well. They know that, that trick to like get things to be really huge without coming out of something huge, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's mm-hmm. how you, that's how you really, excel when you just dial it up on something that doesn't give you any love and help and assistance you know then the then it's on you to make it big and bang yeah yeah that's a great tip how about how about the fact i mean first off i mean obviously your resume is two to 14 pages long here if we actually listed all of them <laughs> out um but it's it's very eclectic right and it's um i mean everything from massive attack to 90 degrees boys to men meatloaf uh zz top you know rihanna right it's freaking it's across the board r&b pop rock and roll um do you do you have to ever change your uh philosophy approach short of obviously you have to um you have to represent the the music properly um but is it ever a challenge to go from a straight up r&b to you know a singer songwriter to a to a mars volta rock you know what i mean like how does how does that how's that scale um i think the biggest trick to that and i probably think i talked about this on ryan's podcast a little bit is about being a fan of the genre that you're working that you're doing and knowing everything there is to know about it you know like like i Hey, hold on, real quick. We talked about this last yeah. episode. I, 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 it's, it, it, it's interesting. It's, it's an important it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, keep going. It was yeah, last episode. Yeah. I mean, think about folk music, right? If you're trying to mix a folk band and you have this huge forty hertz, forty five hertz bump mm-hmm. on a bass drum, and you have like this really obnoxious like snare with reverb and all this shit going on, like you have this big giant rock mix on a folk band, you're missing the point, right? You know, like some music is purposely lo-fi, right? There's some music that just mm. that's what it is. So. In order for you to excel at that genre, you got to understand it and you got to know everything there is mm-hmm. to know about it. Like even more than fans do, like a producer would. Like how 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 did they get down with this and how did they accomplish the results of this thing? What was their goal and how did it get there? And and know everything there is to know about it. And that way when you get up to the console in this big stupid room, you know what you're up against and you know what you're doing and you know what the end result should be. Well, then I'm curious. So if you grew up kind of a metal kid, then when you got introduced to New Edition of Black Street, Vanessa Williams, Patti LaBelle, that that run there where you were like in that pocket of R and B and stuff, was that difficult at all, or were you already kind of a fan in that world? No, like, I does, just do. I just do it every gig I get. Like the minute I start talking to management about possibly getting a gig, I start making a playlist of like the last show they did. I go to Setlist FM and I see what they've been playing live for the last twenty shows, mm. and I make an iTunes playlist and I. And I hurt myself with it. You know what I mean? I become a fan. I go, you know, let's spin this, let's spin this playlist 150 times before I even get to rehearsal because I don't want to show up with an ego that I know what I'm doing. I got this, you know what I mean? Cause maybe I don't, you know, like if I don't understand what R and B or hip hop's about and I just show up with an ego that I know what I'm doing, then maybe I'll miss the point. And I don't want to do that because guess what? I'm getting paid well. I love what I do for a living. And they hired me to be good at this shit. They didn't hire me to show up with my fucking ego and pretend like I got this. You know what I mean? They, they hired me to, to come make them present them how they want to be presented, which is, you know, what are their record? You know, they, they obviously, you ever, you ever been to a studio when a band's making final mix decisions on a record? Like it's not just some, oh, well, you know, it's like really critical shit. Like people are like really signing off on things. So the record is the best place to start. You know what I mean? And and listen mm. to that like fans do. And, you know, think about Rihanna fans. They listen to her shit over and over that her, she got 10 trillion spins on Spotify and this and that. And like, you know, those people know that shit so hardcore and every little, little sign sweep, anything that's in the music, they know all that shit, you know? And so here I show up with my ego and not knowing any of that shit. And the keyboard players up there playing it, making 5,500 bucks a week, crushing it. And I'm out there missing every bit of it because I don't know he's supposed to be doing it. Cause mm-hmm. I don't know what's in the mix. I haven't listened to the mix. I just showed up with my ego. Cause I got this. Like that's that to me is like the biggest 
gut punch to an artist who's paying you top dollar. Like I don't, I don't charge nickels and pennies to come do this. I charge top dollar to come do what I'm doing. So I'm going to put in every bit of effort, even before I get a single paycheck months before I get a single paycheck sometimes Mm -hmm. and rage a band who I know. And I grew up listening to, I did the same shit. I put a playlist together. I start pummeling it into my brain. Every time I'm in the car, every chance I possibly get, I listen to this shit over and over and over again. And I go, Oh wait, what the hell what was that? I never heard that before. And mm-hmm. I make a note, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I uh, text edit or stickies or whatever on my Mac, you know, I, I, I got them from every artist I've ever worked for. Like I'll put their record together and you know, like an artist like Beck, I, the notes are endless. Like it's crazy how much shit you got to make notes wise to like reverb details or this or that. Like that shit's important back to the catching walleye. You know what I mean? Like if you didn't write down how deep the water was and what temperature was, you wouldn't catch them there next year. Right. And so that's the mentality and the approach I have to working for folk or metal or punk or whatever the hell it is country. I just, I go at it with details in mind and, and study. And even before I get paid, I'm, I'm learning. Yeah. yeah. And I think even in when you've been working with someone, even for years, it's always good to just go back in and listen to the records. And cause you might hear something that you missed and, or you might just be getting so used to the, the sound of the live show. It's good to just kind of like revisit the roots of like what it all is anyway. And just kind of, re- you know, touch base with what they're trying to get across I in the first f- place. Yeah, and I feel like, I feel like you gotta, you gotta be a fan of listening to music. You know what I mean? If you just, yeah. if you just did this because you like getting paid and it's just another job mm-hmm. to you, then I don't think you're going to be as good as, as someone not to, not to say like me that I, I'm not saying that I'm good at it, but someone like me that, you know, I like the, hold on. For, you can say you're good at it. I mean, I, no <laughs> I know, but, but I don't want to be, I don't, <laughs> I don't really have an ego about this shit. Like I just, I look at it like if you study and you bring to the table, what you think needs to be brought to the table. Like there's no way you can fail at it. Right. Like just do everything in your power to make sure it goes well and you, and you can't fail. Right. You know, these, these Tannoy, these DMT two fifteens that are behind me here, you know, these things were like $25,000 speakers. You know, this is the shit that I listen to music on and upstairs in my living room. I have another system up there that I spent almost two years building from scratch some of the highest five speakers I could, I could put together on my own because I can't afford Damn. the $75,000 home stereo speakers that I want. So I go build the ones myself and I spend years doing it. Like I feel like that part of it and being we need that, to do a Sully cribs. Yeah. For, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, Sully I remember, I remember pulling up to a, to a, do you guys know who ML Procise was? Anybody know who ML oh, was? Yeah. yeah. So I ML would him. have his, his Grammy dinners at, you know, the Palm every year. And I remember pulling up to the Palm in a, in a car at the time that I had, and I don't even tell you what kind of car it was cause it doesn't matter, but I had $15,000 worth of car stereo in it, you know, like I, that I put in myself that I installed, designed and put in, did everything myself, you know? And I remember uh, another peer of mine, a sound guy, as we were pulling away from it, ML was like trying to get me to show off my stereo to somebody because he had heard it before. And it's, you know, pretty impressive. And this guy was like, what's wrong with you? Like, why the fuck do you got a stereo in your car for? He's like, when I get off work, I don't want, I don't want nothing to do with any of this shit. And in my mind, I was like, that's why I'm better at this than you are. Because mm-hmm. I never yeah. stopped doing this. I never stopped listening to it. I never stopped making sure that, you know, my reference of what's good is higher than anybody else's. So when I mm-hmm. think something's good, I'm further along than you are. Like if your reference is like a Kenwood rack system that your parents bought at Sears in 1989, <laughs> then when you get to that level of your mix, you're done, aren't you? Because that's all the better, you know? So wow. if you have this like really obscene level of the tippy top of hi-fi, you'll always be disappointed when you leave a concert as a mixer because you'll never ever get anywhere near that. And so for me, I just set the bar so high for myself that, you know, I'm always, I got some more work to do all day, every day. I'm never finished. So I think that helps a lot. I love it. Love mm-hmm. that shit, man. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Um, so before we wrap up, we have a couple of traditional questions we'd like to ask, but first, what you got another? What's no? I mean, hold on. For, with with a list like this, though, Kyle has I, to have a fanboy question. I I like Zach's first band. I wish they'd do an Inside Out reunion. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to get him as your email so you guys can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll jump right on it. So, uh, what I was gonna say next Sorry. week? No, it's cool, dude. It's it's cool, man. We're just going for it. Next week, I'm not gonna be here. 
and neither is Jade because we're going to be at Outside Lands Festival out in San Francisco. We'll be hanging out. Woo-hoo. So we'll yeah. uh, send you a picture or something from uh, from Outside Lands. Hold on. Maybe, maybe y'all should record something out there. Yeah, maybe. Michael's going to be monitoring my SPL. we be telling Jade to turn yeah. down. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because I'm like, hey. Tapping you know, me on limit. the shoulder. Yeah, you know, there's a <laughs> like, like your act's like super quiet. So I don't think like but you're going to be. And you're like, I don't know. People this. are That's really what the, that Every system tech thinks that. Oh, yeah, I heard, the, I heard them. But, you know, you shouldn't have a problem. But then. I mean, Sounds live like shows can be you know, come lot, out ripping. I'm here for yeah. it. I'm going to be there. I'm, I'm stoked. Let's do it. So <laughs> bring all it right. on. So, uh, Sully, if we're going to come out and visit you in Ohio, where are you taking us to eat, man? What's your favorite spot to grab food out there? You know, it's 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 bummer that you asked me that because I just moved here from L.A. I lived in L.A. for 20 years. And, you know, the food here is I hate to say it. Ohio, it's pretty, pretty weak, you know, compared about, to L.A. All right, LA. That's it's pretty weak. What, like your what do you team. dream of when you're like, man, I love that. But you know what? Place. Let's go. Let's go. If we're going to go to Ohio, I'm going to take you something really plain and shitty. We're going to go to Skyline and get some chili dogs. Yes. Because Skyline is, <laughs> is my shit, you know? Hamburger Station. There's, like, there's a couple yeah. fast food joints that are like, you know, some really good shit as far as fast food goes. But uh, if we're going, known for some good stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. I live south of there about 30 minutes. So, so I'm not, I'm in a suburb, you know, I'm not, it takes a minute to get there to go eat shit. So. Kind of You're like, have you ever heard of this place, Chili's? Have you have you ever heard of <laughs> Applebee's? Yeah, no. I moved I moved back to the Midwest from from Las Vegas, and I'm the same way. Someone asked today, they were like, "Hey, where where do you go to eat in Vegas?" And I had a list of Thai places and sushi places, and like places not on the strip that are all super secret local joints, right? And and then yeah, I live in St. Louis. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it, it's the Mexican food is a real bummer. You know, I moved from Rough. Los Angeles to here, and it's like, fuck, the Mexican food here is like, you know, Taco Bell, right? That's yep. all there is. It's mm-hmm. like, Ketchup, it's pretty, salsa. Yeah, it's pretty weak, so. Michael's not saying anything. He, no, lo- it's, he loves I, it. It, it. I love Taco Bell, but I'm not going to claim that it's Mexican food. That would be absurd. My yeah. wife's an amazing <laughs> cook, and we'll make you some Korean barbecue. We can hang out in the backyard. How about that? There you go. That'll there work. we go. That's, there there we go. All right, Chris Leonard, fire it off, man. All right, Sully, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? I would I would love to say humble, but I don't know if that's the case. <laughs> uh, I you know, I strive to be humble. Like I don't want to be I don't I don't even want to consider myself uh, you know, this top of the list front of house guy. You know, I remember I just I just dealt with this at a gig I just did where I was I kind of badmouthed this place the last time I was there. I'm not even going to talk about what it was and this or that, but you know, in my mind, I said something shitty to my 800 Facebook friends and I didn't really think anything of that, but somebody kind of pointed out to me, they're like, but Sully, you are who you are and you can't just say what you say and not expect it to ripple through the industry. And I don't, because I don't Mm. think of myself like some big timer that does this. I didn't consider that when I posted this shit that I posted, which I shouldn't have did, you know? And so mm-hmm. I, I guess I would, I would like to be known as just some regular guy that just got good at this because he cared about getting good at it. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, kids ask me like, what do I got to do to get my foot in the door? I'm like, you got to fucking want this more than the guys next to you because that's what mm-hmm. I did. Like I was so hungry for it and I was so crazed to get better at it, to get, you know, excel more than the next guy that it shows that people will recognize that and they'll go, I want this kid on my team. It's like, you remember when in high school, when you got picked to be on the basketball team, you didn't want to be the last kid standing there. You want to be the first one that got picked, you know? And so just mm-hmm. that mentality, I think is what it takes to get good at this and, and try to stay humble at it, you know, and be like, you know, and because I worked for eight day for so long and, and, you know, was a system engineer and flew PA and mic stages. And, you know, even this last gig I just did, I was just with an last more set. I was up there, we, you know, we had one of our girls that mic the stage had to go get COVID test one day. I was up there. I was the first one up there, mic on the stage. Like, you know, I don't care. Let's just get this shit done and mm-hmm. get together. So I guess I, I'd, I'd like to be known as like this cool, humble dude that didn't, didn't really care about what people thought about him. It just came out to do a good job. And that's all that mattered. Give the artists what they pay me to do. Like yeah, you. right on. Sully, thank you so much for your time, man. It's been great chatting with you. We yeah, appreciate thanks it. for yeah, having man. me.